So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you for you reveal yourself to us through your Bible. Lord, I would be lost. We would be lost unless we had your word, which tells us about yourself. Thank you for your great mercies. Thank you, Lord, for these, for these stories, these histories, which were captured in the lessons we learn about our everyday life and about eternity from your word. I pray our hearts would be at peace before you. Give us the ability to set aside the many, many important things that are going on and listen to you and still our hearts. Lift these things up in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in our Book of Daniel series. Last, last week we had jumped forward from chapter 3 up to chapter 6, which was Daniel in the lion's den. And Kier spoke to us on Daniel's practice of prayer and how that established his life. Today we're going to go back to chapters 4 and 5. And let's jump in because we have a decent amount of um, material to cover today. Okay, Daniel's chapter 4 and 5. So the long chapters, we don't have time to read them out loud, so I'm going to sum up some of the major points here, and then we'll, go, we'll dive into some more detail throughout the message. So the first part of Daniel chapter 4 is Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the giant tree. His dream of the giant tree. It's a huge tree, visible. He had a dream, and it was visible through the entire earth. And it reached to the heavens. And this dream symbolized Nebuchadnezzar's worldly power. And in the dream, a holy watcher, which is an angel, came and cut down the tree and prophesied that the king would be like an animal. So a troubling dream for Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar summoned Daniel to come and help interpret this dream. Interesting it was Daniel had two initial reactions when this dream was shared with him. His reactions were alarm and loyalty, very touchingly. It's interesting that he was, he, when, he saw, when he heard the dream, he knew what it meant. God revealed to him what it meant, and he was alarmed at the breadth of the dream, and he was, and he was alarmed at the effect it was going to have on Nebuchadnezzar. And he said, Nebuchadnezzar, let this be for someone else besides you. And maybe that was a courtly courtesy they had at the time where he didn't want to say something mean about the king, but he'd known Nebuchadnezzar for a while, and he'd been serving him for a while. And it seemed to be like there was a heartfelt concern for Nebuchadnezzar's welfare. Well, he, he reveals the interpretation of the dream. Nebuchadnezzar is going to be, he, 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 it's this dream is this tree, it's describing his great kingdom and his great power, but it's also going to be cut down, it's going to be bound with bronze and silver on the trunk that's left, and then Nebuchadnezzar is going, to in, is going to be insane, basically, for seven years, but that his kingdom is going to be preserved. So that's the gist of the dream. And then, Nebuch and then Daniel urges Nebuchadnezzar, repent, repent of your wickedness. Repent of your wickedness. So this is a pretty bold guy, as, you, as we already well know about Daniel. He's a bold guy. This king summons him in, he has compassion on it, he in interprets the dream, and he urges him to repent so that, the, so that the, what is portrayed in the dream might not come to pass. Very dramatic, very dramatic scene. And it's not the first time that Nebuchadnezzar has asked for Daniel's help, right? Surely, Nebuchadnezzar is going to listen to Daniel, right? And he's going to repent. 
12 months later, as you might suspect, Nebuchadnezzar did not repent. In fact, it says 12 months later, he was walking around on the roof of his palace, and he said, you know what? I'm pretty darn awesome, and this kingdom of mine is pretty darn awesome. I'm just an amazing guy. That's the David translation of what he said. And then it says, Daniel 4.29 says, 12 months later, bragging about his power and his, his glory, he was afflicted with the insanity that was, that was foretold in the dream. He acted like an animal for seven years. And yet God was merciful. At the end of that dream, at the end of that time, at the end of that seven years, Nebuchadnezzar was restored, and he ended up praising God. Okay, so that's the big picture of what Daniel chapter 4 is about in Nebuchadnezzar's experience. I want to dive in a little bit and look at some of Nebuchadnezzar's responses and some of the specific passages. It's, um, it's a lengthy passage. I, I hope that you guys are following along in Daniel as you read these things. It's worth, obviously, reading the entire thing. But let's take a look at some of Nebuchadnezzar's key responses. One, at the beginning of the chapter, he acknowledges God. He, he, he gives this little statement, and it says he, he basically praises God and acknowledges God's power. Two, he seeks help from his, his court magicians. When he has the dream, he seeks help from the magicians and then pulls Daniel in as well. And then three, he ignores Daniel and suffers the consequences of his hubris and his pride. And then at the end of that thing, he has a much better statement of humility before God. So let's take a look at a couple of these verses. So this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. First person, Nebuchadnezzar is speaking out loud, and he's praising God. He says, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I can sing that. Couldn't you sing that? He starts with this, he starts with this uh, statement, praising God. And remember, he just come off, we're going backwards in time here, he just come off of throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace. So maybe he's learned his lesson. So far, so good, right? So next, things start going a little sideways. In uh, Daniel's 4, 7, he says, Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers came in, and I, Nebuchadnezzar, I told them the dream but they could not make known to me its interpretation. So it's, he has the dream, and his instinct is to summon the magicians, the enchanters and the astrologers. And the poor old Chaldeans, they're tossed in there too. They're also bad guys. So he goes from praising God to summoning magicians. Nebuchadnezzar's his instability and his lack of understanding of who God is um, and God's power and his relationship to God is on display again. He's going back and forward in his responses. Daniel 4.8. At last Daniel came in before me. This, again, this is Nebuchadnezzar's talking out loud. He who was named Belshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and I told him the dream. So Nebuchadnezzar lumped Daniel in with his, with his astrologers, even named Daniel after his god. You know, I get the impression that this is all a bit of a game for Nebuchadnezzar. He recognized that there's something different about Daniel, but he did not understand the source of Daniel's motivations, the source of Daniel's power, and the source of Daniel's holiness. I don't know why. Maybe it's something he didn't take seriously. Maybe he could sense that if he did take it seriously, there was going to be a greater demand on him 
personally. Maybe he sensed there's a greater demand on me personally. I've got it made. I don't need this. I've got a lot of power. I don't need this stuff. I recognize it. It's interesting. Daniel does some neat tricks, and he tells me things that I couldn't figure out by myself. These superficial interests is not what it means to fear God, to love God, and to seek after him. You know, these examples, these types of responses by persons in authority are, not, are common throughout the Bible. You know, Pontius Pilate, he sensed the truth. He sensed that he was standing next to the, the truth, but he did not take action. Herod, he wanted to see Jesus perform tricks during Jesus' trial. Simon Magus, he wanted to buy the power of the Holy Spirit from the apostles. And King Agrippa was entertained when Paul was on trial. He was entertained, and he said, Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. They understood. These people, Nebuchadnezzar, Pilate, Agrippa, they understood the power. They perceived the power, but they missed God. These are awful people, right? Two. Thank God I'm not like them. Right? Isn't that, isn't that the thought we're tempted to think right off the bat? You know, I don't know that it's fruitful. Don't know that it's fruitful for us to merely condemn those who fail. We've got to consider this application to our own life. We have to consider, how does this apply to us? These, these are about people in power. How, but, but the reason we dig into the Word of God is we want to understand, how does this apply to us? Well, there's a passage that came to mind as I was thinking about this. You know, we don't rule kingdoms. I don't rule kingdoms. But I have to ask the question, do I make a similar mistake about how seriously I take God in my life? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 5-7. through seven, Kind of crunched down here a little bit. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. The same mistake that Nebuchadnezzar made. He enjoyed the power. He enjoyed the trappings. He enjoyed the fact that Daniel could interpret his dreams, but he didn't understand. He denied its power. We see tendencies like that in our own culture, too. We see things like prosperity gospel that says something. It's an appearance of godliness. People that are, you know, polished and and pretty or handsome or whatever, and they, and they make these appeals and say, God's going to solve all your problems. God's going to give you money. He's going to heal your body. He's going to take your troubles away. And he does this because of whatever reason, because he loves you, because he loves me, because of whatever reason they give. There's an appearance of godliness, but there's no understanding of the power. So this is true. This is, an, this is something we need to be cautious of as we are listening to the many sources of spiritual input into our life. It's true, but it's still a little bit too abstract. Let's make it even more personal. Do you personally enjoy church but avoid God? Do you enjoy church but avoid God? So what does that mean? You enjoy the the fun, the fellowship, the company, Um, But it's difficult for you to slow down and listen to what he's saying, to let his word impact you, to have an experience with Jesus Christ where you you are willing to repent of your sins, where you're willing to trust him, where you're willing to receive his word, receive his spirit, and change your life. Church is a good thing, but the point of church is not just fellowship or enjoyment 
or, or company or having a wholesome environment. The point of our gathering together is to meet Jesus Christ. Obviously, we meet him throughout the week in our own personal times too, but church is not just about an environment. It's about our relationship with God that impacts our life through his word and changes us. That's what didn't happen to Nebuchadnezzar. He was unchanged. Years and years and years and years of seeing fascinating, interesting things, and he was still calling his magicians in to solve his problems. Do you, another question we could ask, slightly different angle, same, same sort of question is, do you like the idea of God, but you fail to experience his power? Do you like the idea of God, but you fail to experience his power? If this is the case, same sort of thing, we are, we understand there's something out there. We want something more, but we haven't really slowed down to acknowledge the demands that Jesus Christ has on our lives, on my life, on your life. You need to slow down, you need to listen to what he's saying, you need to let it impact you at the deepest level. If you're someone, and I've been like this in times in my life, and each one of us maybe struggle with this, we like the idea of God, but we don't experience his power, then if this is the case, then we can't judge Nebuchadnezzar. And we share that in common with him. And what's, what is the key there? This verse puts its finger on it. We're lovers of ourself rather than lovers of God. Lovers of ourself rather than lovers of God. And that means different, that's going to bring something to your mind. It's going to bring something to my mind. It's going to be a little bit different. But we need to evaluate. Are we loving ourselves? Are we loving the positive influences? Are we loving God? I need to fear God. You need to fear God. Not just use him as a convenience. You need to repent from your sins. You need to trust that Jesus Christ died for your sins, willingly, lovingly paid the price for your sins, and then believe that he rose from the dead and offers that salvation to you as a free gift. And you need to walk in the Spirit and love those around you. Those things I just mentioned, this repentance this trust, this faith, this walking in the Spirit, these are some very practical things of what it means to actually let God impact you at the deepest level. That's the start of our journey. That's the, that's the way that we avoid missing God's influence in our life. Let's continue. Daniel chapter 5. A similar but slightly different story with Belshazzar, the judgment of Belshazzar. So, minor point, real quick. Belshazzar is Nebuchadnezzar's son. Belshazzar is Nebuchadnezzar's god. And Belshazzar was Nebuchadnezzar's nickname for Daniel. How would you like to have a nickname of somebody? You have a friend who's not a Christian, and they nickname you after their god. That would be a little awkward. But I think Daniel was probably used to it after being decades living in Babylon. But just want to clarify that. It used to confuse me when I was younger. I could never remember what the difference between them. There's the difference right there. Spelled out. All right. So Belshazzar, he's now the ruler of the Babylonians. The story just skips ahead. Nebuchadnezzar's done. He's restored. He praises God. And he's off the stage. Belshazzar is now the ruler of the Babylonians. He was the son of Nebuchadnezzar, but 
He didn't learn anything from his father. He, his story, again, briefly, is worth reading in chapter 5 in detail. He profanes the implements of the Jewish temple. They bring all this stuff in. They have this from the temple that they captured from Jerusalem. They have this huge feast, and he receives a terrifying vision um, from God. The hand come and writes on the wall, which you're going to look at in just a moment. And he promises, he sees this vision, and he promises rewards for an interpretation. Of course, he asks his wise men and his magicians to interpret, but they can't do it. He also misunderstands. He summons Daniel and promises Daniel a reward for doing this. It's interesting, again, he doesn't understand Daniel's motivations. And it's interesting to see Daniel's response is different than his response to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, he was alarmed. He was like saying, I hope this doesn't apply to you, O king. And when, when Belshazzar said to Belshazzar, you know, I'm going to make you the third ruler in the kingdom if you can interpret this. Daniel's response was, you know what? I'll, I'll interpret your dream, but you keep your rewards. I don't want it. I don't know how old Daniel was at this time when he said this. I don't know if he was still a young man or maybe he was an older man. It doesn't quite give you an indication. But it really felt, I was like, I can really relate to the old man, get off my lawn sort of response from Daniel when he said this to Belshazzar. It's like, I don't need your rewards. I don't need this. I've been here. I've been doing this a long time. I'm going to tell you what this means. You keep your riches. Maybe Daniel sensed there was something else that's about ready to happen here. Daniel points out to Belshazzar he's been judged for his arrogance. And this judgment that was given to him is a famous statement. Let's take a look at it here. This is an image of the party. The hand right, the hand is already coming written on the wall, and Daniel's interpreting it. The statement is miny, miny, tekel, farsen. Miny, miny, tekel, farsen. Very famous statement. It says it means mighty means God has numbered your days. Tekel means you've been weighed in the scales. And found wanting. And far as in your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So twice he says, God has numbered your days. God has numbered your days. And you've been weighed in the scales and found wanting. And God has taken your kingdom from you and given it to somebody else. The statement, the cliche, you can see the handwriting on the wall. This is where it comes from. We can see the handwriting on the wall. Belshazzar could see the handwriting on the wall. He could see it, but Daniel knew what it meant. It's very dramatic. Very dramatic, right? And similar to the, what it, the, the statement, the interpretation that, he got, uh, that Daniel gave his father Nebuchadnezzar. So Belshazzar has, surely he will repent. Surely he has time to walk around on the, on the, on the roof of his palace for a while. And consider what God has said to him, right? Twelve minutes later. Wrong. Wrong. Belshazzar was killed that night, and he was replaced by Darius. Nebuchadnezzar had 12 months casual repentance or whatever he did, whatever he called that. It wasn't even repentance. It was just casual thinking about things. Belshazzar had 12 minutes. Wow. Wow. 12 months or 12 minutes? So the question, again, is for us is, do we have 12 months to think about God's truth for us? Or do we have 12 minutes? Our life is short. Spiritual things are eternal in weight. We don't know whether we have 12 minutes or 12 months. We assume, all of us, I assume, I've got many years of life. Yes, each one of you do. 
you assume you have many years of life ahead of you. And yet there's some who are sick, they know that their time is limited, and it helps focuses their attention. But most of us aren't in that situation where eternity is pressing in on us. We take it very seriously. So what would you do? What would you say to God? If I told you you've got 12 minutes to get right with God, what would you do besides panic? So my encouragement is, don't wait until you have 12 minutes to get right with God. Instead, take his holiness seriously. Take his love seriously. Take his offer seriously. The rulers of this era, like every single era, they're corrupt. They're arrogant. They're selfish. They don't understand what motivated Daniel. They don't understand what motivated his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are in the furnace. They treated spiritual truths as a game or maybe as optional at best. They did not fear God. And they did not remember the lessons that they learned. Are we any better? So what lessons should we learn from this high-level blitz through Daniel, chapter 4 and 5? One, first of all, earthly power is temporary. Our world floods in on us, and it seems overwhelming at times. Yes, it does to me. But everything, every nation, every king, every form of government is temporary, no matter how grand and glorious it looks. Two, God is sovereign. He is in control. He, uh, he, he is holy. He demands and deserves our worship and respect. He rightly judges us for our sins. And that judgment is sure. It took a long time to wind up for Nebuchadnezzar. It took almost no time to wind up for Belshazzar. I'm reminded of this passage in Peter. It says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Some kings are glorious, some are humble, we are humble, but but same thing between us and every king. We are temporary. You are temporary. You are temporary. That should cause not panic, but it should cause seriousness in our hearts and our minds. It should say, it should, there, should be a, there should be a natural question of, I'm temporary, but God is eternal, and you should, it should cause you, should provoke a hunger and a question with you of desiring to know what it means to respond to him rightly. It's interesting, even though the Babylonians carried Judah into captivity, God's hand of sovereignty was seen the entire time. Daniel interpreted dreams. He and his friends suffered through persecution and torture. They rose to prominence. They pronounced judgment against the kings they served, and they outlived the wickedness of the kings they served. And Daniel was an old man by the time he'd seen whatever four kings go by. God is sovereign. God outlasted the power and glory of these kings. So what do we do? What do we do? These chapters in Daniel, they highlight the certainty of God's holiness, the certainty of his judgment. And he judges, he judges, not because he's mean or because he hates you or he wants to punish you. It's because he is holy. His character is holy. He's eternal. And he evaluates things in a fundamentally different way than we do. 
fundamentally different way than we do. It's not mean he's holy and we fail to live up to his righteous standard. We actually deserve judgment. Can you get yourself to a point? Can you get yourself to the point without resentment, just very calmly get yourself to the point where you say, yep, I'm not God. There's a good step. I'm not even like God. I'm not perfect. I'm not holy. I'm not good. My motives aren't pure. And then can you take seriously the, the statement the scripture gives that the fact that we're not good and holy and perfect is going to, it does provoke a response from God. And that response is judgment. So when we can start thinking about it this way, it'll help us to avoid the urge to feel superior to hapless Belshazzar who jumped up from his feast. It says he was pale and his knees were knocking and then a few minutes later he was dead. It's kind of a, it's kind of a, it's easy for us to judge or look down on someone like that. But we are also in a similarly vulnerable spot. We like these kings, we deserve judgment. Again, the point of application always comes down to ourself. Let's read this passage. A rich man had a fertile field. This is a parable by Jesus, jumping to the New Testament, book of Luke. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and all my other goods. I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have stored away enough for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Okay, so this parable seems pretty relevant to the, to the modern American life, right? Save up money, store things, and take it easy and eat a lot. That sounds like, is that the American dream? It's a twisted version of it. But it, this is a relatable picture to us, to me. I can relate to this. And, and see in uncomfortable echoes to my own motives and stuff like this. Gather money, take it easy. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. And then who will get everything you worked for? So here's that kicker. With Nebuchadnezzar, God was patient. With Belshazzar, God was not patient. With this guy in this verse, this parable, the point of this parable, this guy was taken by surprise. What's the difference? Why was God patient with Nebuchadnezzar, but he wasn't patient with Belshazzar? the difference. It's a rhetorical question, and I'm not going to answer it for you. I suggest you ask God. God, why were you patient with Nebuchadnezzar? Why were you impatient with Belshazzar? How much time do I have left? Oh, God. Go ahead, ask him. What's the answer going to be? The answer is going to be, fear me, love me, come to me through my son, Jesus Christ. That's the answer. He's not going to give you a time, a date, or a, a, a countdown clock. Thank God, because we, again, would go insane if we knew uh, those kind of details in our life. You have to answer this question of why he was patient with one person and impatient with another person. Because the, the answer to that question as you meditate on who he is and what his word has to say, that's going to, your, the answer is very personal for you alone. So how patient will he be with you? Well, he'll be more patient than you deserve, that's for sure. But don't take it for granted. Because like Nebuchadnezzar, did he use his patience, God's patience, well? No, he didn't use it well. He forgot went in one ear and out the other. Again, that's my tendency, my fleshly tendency is to take God for granted, to take his mercy for approval, his patience for approval. And Nebuchadnezzar got that message wrong. 
as you contemplate these lessons that were taught to kings, a couple of things I want you to do here. As these passages, New Testament passages taught us, avoid the temptation to superficial godliness, superficial church attendance, superficial connection with God, and desire and hunger and, and, and go for the deeper connection to God. And then, when you made that connection, when you know the truth, don't delay. Don't wait. Let's end on a high note here with the concluding verse from this parable that Jesus taught. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, a person is a fool, Jesus says, to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. A rich relationship with God. The correct response to the dilemma of your sure judgment, of the sure judgment of kingdoms, but ultimately for us. It's a truth that kings and all their riches and power, they miss it, is a rich relationship with God. That relationship with God starts with trusting Jesus Christ for salvation. And again, what that means, trusting Jesus Christ for salvation. Acknowledging that you're a sinful person and you need forgiveness. Trusting that Jesus Christ came to earth. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross for your sins willingly because he loves you, because the Father loves you and he wants to solve the dilemma of your judgment for you. And then last but not least, we believe, I believe, I proclaim Jesus Christ rose from the dead, defeating death, defeating my sin, and guaranteeing me a, a rich relationship with God that will end up one day in heaven with him, which is awesome, but it's also a restored relationship now that's rich and adds meaning to our life. This is how we avoid the dilemma of Judgment, this is how we avoid the mistakes that people that are more powerful than us have made. So we've completed this first portion of Daniel. Some iconic stories here. Daniel Lion's Den, the three men in the furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the handwriting on the wall, the tree, the visions, iconic stories, iconic lessons. As we go forward into the book of Daniel, Daniel's role is going to, be, is going to shift from being the interpreter of dreams to being the receiver of vision. This is all groundwork. This is all foundational stuff in Daniel's life. And then when he's an older man, God is going to say, are you ready? Are you ready, Daniel? You thought you had a ride up to this point. Get ready for what comes next. We're going to leave behind the small potatoes, the small potatoes of the fate of nations. And we're going to gain a glimpse of eternity in the future chapters as we see God's plan for the end of time and a vision of him reigning in his holiness. Let's pray. Lord, you are holy. You are righteous. You are perfect. You are powerful. You're wise. You're good. You're giving. You're loving. Lord, all day long we can recite these things about you and not be enough. I thank you, Lord. I praise you. I worship you. I do fear you. And I acknowledge my sinfulness, Lord. And I'm so grateful that you love me. You sent your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you to have mercy on me. I thank you that you solved the problem, that my sin problem, God. Thank you, Father. I pray that you, I, you would teach me every day, Lord, to seek you, to be hungry for you, to honor you, to love the people around us, to be a communicator of this good news. 
to a dark and needy world. We lift up these things in Jesus' name. Amen.